0: How about I pray before we look at this next part of the message of James. Dear Father, we do thank you that we can come together here. We thank you that we can sit before you and that you meet with us as you promise. We pray that you'd speak to us, speak to us as a church, on what it means to, to know the gospel and live out the gospel. Lord, speak to us if we're new or visiting here, of what the gospel is about and how that does change lives. Lord, we're open to you now. We prayed in Jesus' name. Amen. I was catching up with Tim Keller over lunch a little while back. You might know Tim Keller. He's the author of many books, American preacher of a very large church in New York and a church planting movement, travels the world uh, speaking as an author and uh, just knows lots of stuff. A um, little bit of a man crush, you could say, uh, but you know who Tim Keller is, right? I was having lunch with Tim Keller uh, at the, at, overlooking the Sydney Opera House and overlooking the Sydney Harbour um, and, you know, talking about church and new work and stuff like that. And you yeah, don't believe me, dear. I think I've got a photo here of of that time. That was a time. Um, you can sort of work out, Tim, He's the one on the left way up the front there. And you, you kind of just can't see me because all those people sitting in front, I'm probably about another ten rows back. But it was over lunch and it was overlooking the harbour and we did get to have a chat. I even shook his hand, I even said day to him. Before they asked me to move on, they said, you know, you've got to talk and have a conversation, if you're not going to say anything, move on. I didn't know what to say to him, so uh, I did meet him. Um, but it was nice hanging out, at Sydney Harbour, Tim Keller and his wife was really nice. And it's kind of nice to, to get together with... Famous people, rich people, popular people, it's kind of nice to sort of, you know, put on your resume, you know, look who I hung out with or look who I know. Whether at uni, I don't think it changes what stage of life you're in, whether, you know, in the school days you want to hang out with the cool people, uh, through uni or in your workplace, or even a church so I say hey look we've got these people coming to our church makes a good story to tell your other mates Uh, the rich and famous might come to your church or you know you know them personally it's always a good story it sort of does something for us it's kind of affirming that hey I must be okay because I'm hanging out with these okay people so I must be all right too I'm accepted in that but we all are drawn to this drawn to this uh, kind of Uh, knowing the rich, the famous, the popular. And we think it's okay to do that in whatever scenario it's in. Now, James, who wrote the book of James, he's uh, a pastor of a church in Jerusalem back in the first century. He knows what church is like and he knows what people are like. And he's saying, if you're doing this in church, or anywhere really, but especially church, you're kidding yourself, aren't you? You're kidding yourself you're bending over backwards to the rich the famous the popular the cool giving them special treatment it's actually an issue not just an issue for your church and how you run but he says it's a heart issue it's a gospel issue that you might hear and listen to the gospel like we uh, saw it last week's passage but do you understand it is it getting into your heart is it changing your life transforming your life Because that's the outworking of the gospel, is how you treat people. See, are you uh, treating the Tim Kellers of this world, the rich, the famous, the popular? Are you treating them with special treatment? Or we could ask it the other way, in a church setting, because this is where James is writing. Are you treating the, the poor, or the needy, or the awkward, the uncool people? Are you treating them a special way? Well... Not treating them with anything at all. Are you neglecting them? See, it's an outworking of the gospel, he says. So what he's going to do, he says, I'm going to explain the gospel to you. I'm going to see if it's reaching into your heart. I'm going to give you implications of the gospel. The gospel is not something we just believe, but the gospel is something that changes us and starts working out in our actions and in our conversations, even the way we treat other people in church, particularly new people. And he's going to give us some tips, help us to understand the gospel. If we want to get better than that, if we want to have an authentic faith, an authentic gospel, we need to listen to what he's going to say. And he's going to be tips of, this is what the gospel is. And it's not just belief, but this is how it can change you. Change you into having authentic faith and living out the gospel. And that's what we want to be, an authentic church, praising Jesus with an authentic faith. He starts off by saying, sorry, you're in Jesus' seat. Uh, starting off at chapter 2, where he says, my brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favouritism. Now, he kind of sets this up. We sort of described this at the start of the James series, where a lot of these sections are kind of like sermon notes. And I wouldn't be surprised if he says, oh, look, I preached that last Sunday. I need to write this message out, send them to the, the churches in the outlying areas, the scattered churches, uh, They can't just download it off the Facebook page or the web page, but I'll send them a few notes. But it's often the first and last lines are where he really hits the punch. And the first line here, um, brothers and sisters, so they they, they were part of his congregation in Jerusalem, now scattered because of persecution. He says, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favouritism. Now it's interesting, He, he does lots of little intros. This one's a little bit different because he actually names... The Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Lord Jesus Christ. So he's writing to a church, he's not just putting an open flyer that you'd leave out on the street that you know, other people would read. He's writing to churches, believers in Jesus, but he's reminding them, this is the thing that unites us. This is why I can call you brothers and sisters, because we all worship the Great One, the Lord Jesus He's the Christ. It's not just a number of names, it's titles that describe him. He's the king. He's the one we worship, we bow down to, we submit to because he's Lord. He reigns over all and he's the glorious Lord. So he sits on high, he sits over the universe, he sits over us. He's the one in the judge's seat, you could say, as a king. He rules over us. This is who we are, James saying. Brothers and sisters, us. Believers in the glorious Lord Jesus. We submit to him, under him. But this is a word I've got for you. We must not show favouritism. And then he goes on to describe a scenario. A couple of people, a couple of men walk into your church. One's got the nice uh, gold watch and the gold jewellery. He's dressed up, uh, in kids' church, they're learning about this same passage. Bindi's describing it: his fancy pants. So the man comes in with the fancy pants. He's looking sharp, he's looking cool. He's, you can see he's wealthy, he's comfortable, he's cool, so you want to be around him. You look after him, you give him the best seat. Come and sit with me, I'll look after you. He gets all the attention. But then another man walks in. You see his clothes haven't been washed, uh, he's smelly, either he hasn't uh, washed his clothes for a long time or he hasn't washed before he's come to church and it's kind of awkward and you kind of go, look, how about you sit over there away from us so you don't affect anybody else? This is a scenario that's going on in their church, a real-life scenario that he's talking about. The rich man, the poor man. Now, it's not unusual to sit people in different seats, Right? We do it everywhere. I mean, when you go uh, to the football, to the cricket, to a concert, uh, you, you, know, you walk into Suncorp Stadium, where does your ticket show? Who's got the best seats? Where are the best seats? The ones that are up front, nice and close to the action, because you want to be close to the action, and the people, uh, they cost more because everybody wants there, so you pay more for the best seats up the front, or you can go in the corporate boxes... They're good seats, you get looked after up there, so there's good seats up there, and then you get the budget seats, they're kind of up, up the stadium, further away from the action, but you can kind of see, kind of work out who's who the player, but they're budget seats, because uh, that's all you could afford, so it's all you get, uh, you go in, and there's even the poor man's seats Uh There are, I found out this the other day, that when there's a full house, you're allowed to buy super cheap tickets that you don't get a seat you actually stand for. Uh, Went to the State of Origin a couple of years back, paid good money for good seats, and there's these guys standing behind us saying, I only paid 50 bucks to stand here, this is pretty cool. It's like, what, I paid? Um, There's poor man seats that you can stand up and watch the game as well. Now, whether it's a concert and you want to sit up the front or you can't only afford to sit up the back. That's the way it works, isn't it? There's different seating, depends on how much you want to pay. What pay bracket you're in, you might say. Now, who thinks that that's fair? Because it's everywhere. <laughs> I think all the people who can only afford budget feats go, no, that's unfair, we want, we want to pay nothing to sit up the front. But we see it, whether it's sporting events, whether it's a music concert, whatever you go to, there's different seating. So why not do it in church? We would have good seats up the front, but still nobody would pay for him because nobody wants to sit there. We'd have the good seats up the back. That's how we could do it. But James says, no, that is the way the world might do it, whether it's in the first century in the Colosseum or now at Suncorp Stadium. But that's not the way we're going to work in the church. The church has got to be different to the world. It thinks differently. It does things differently. So when people come in, there's no you sit on the good seat or you sit on the floor or even you sit at my footstool where my smelly feet are. He says, no, there's none of that. Because this is the church. It's not just different to the world, we're different for a reason. He says in verse 4 that the problem that they've got, he says, you, uh, you're not discrimin- uh, have you not discriminated among yourselves and become the judges with evil thoughts? He says, actually, what's going on here, the the rich people sitting, the the poor people on the floor, that's actually a symptom of something else going on. Actually, you're thinking you're a judge. You think you've got the right to judge who should get the good seats, who gets the attention or who gets ignored and pushed to the side. Isn't that interesting, what he said in the very first line? Brothers and sisters... Followers of the glorious Lord Jesus Christ, King, Christ, Judge on the throne. Now, what are you trying to do? You're in Jesus' seat. You're trying to work out, I'm playing God here. I want to have my friends sitting here. Those people I don't like, we can push them away over there. He says, You're playing God. You're showing favoritism uh, amongst yourselves. And not only that, he says, You're playing favoritism. You're playing judge with evil thoughts. We're not God. We're not Jesus. We don't have the right thoughts. Our hearts are corrupt. We only want to hang out with cool people, people that make us look good. He says, even you're not worthy to be judged. Jesus is the only one worthy to be judged. You're in Jesus' seat. And the first thing is, you need to hop out of that seat and put Jesus up where he belongs. He's a Christ, he's the Lord, he's a glorious ruler. And now let's uh, dig a bit deeper then. Get out of Jesus' seat because there's a problem here. Uh, and it's your sinful, evil thoughts that are, that's taking over. He goes on to say, to explain uh, just how the way we view life is so wrong. How you know our sinful eyes or our corrupt heart, our evil hearts, do um, stop us from seeing the world the way God wants us to see the world. So he goes on uh, in verse 5, where he says, Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, says it again to get their attention. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you have dishonoured the poor. is Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him whom you belong? That's Jesus See, the way we see it, somebody comes in. We quickly do the scan, you know, fit them into different categories and different boxes. Oh, here's the poor guy. You can smell him. He's obviously poor. The way he talks, he's less educated. And as we're going through that process, and how are we, going to, are we going to invite him to sit with us or are we going to avoid him? We're going through that process of thinking through, is he worth investing my time in? It's the bottom line. Am I going to invest my Sunday morning sitting with this guy over another newcomer, or just hanging out with my friends. So am I going to invest in him? James says, you're looking through your evil heart again. You're not seeing people the way God sees people. See, the way God sees people is this man's come in, you might see on the outside his his dirty clothes, and he smells, and he doesn't speak right, but God says he is worth it because I've invested in him. See, the poor man, he says, you might see he looks poor on the outside. But God says, I've made him rich. Rich on the inside. Rich in his spiritual life. Rich in his faith. God's given him everything. It was only at last chapter he talked about those who believe in Jesus have been given new birth. They've been given the crown of life. They've been called God's first fruits. And those first fruits are the most precious things that belongs to God. That's what happens when people who come to Jesus... That's what we're given, this new identity, a new creation. And God says, James says, you look at this person on the outside, but God favours the poor. In fact, it's this poor guy that you're neglecting. He's the one God's made the most wealthy, wealthiest person here because God's given him everything he needs for all of eternity. You're not seeing it the way God sees it, is what he's saying. But then you look at the rich guy and go, hey, he looks cool. I'll go and sit with him. And James said, no, he's not the rich guy, just because he's got the gold watch, just because he's got the fancy pants. Like, he's not the rich guy, it's the poor guy. He's the rich guy. Don't you show favouritism, because your evil heart's going to get the wrong guy every time. But James says, this is the twist. It's the way God sees it. God's invested in that poor guy. God's invested in the one. If he sees it worthy, you should too. See, God's taken his old clothes, his dirty rags, his sinful heart, and he's taken them away. And Jesus has taken them away. God's invested him so much that Jesus takes his dirty robes, his smelly sandals, and then Jesus has given him Jesus' very own righteous robe, washed clean, white as snow, without a blemish, This is what this guy's got spiritually. He's been given everything. The crown of life he's God's first fruits. New creation with the new robe, the robe of righteousness. That's what Jesus has done. We don't see that in first impressions. But God says, this is what I've done to him. This is what I've done to him in his heart. So if we go to judge people with an evil heart, we don't see what God sees. We need to see what God sees, James is saying. Don't show favoritism. Get to know all people. Now, we need to clarify, because some of these verses that James throws in uh, get a bit confusing. Does this mean that all rich people are ratbags and all poor people go to heaven? Just, you know, read a couple of verses and that's the way it would appear. That's not what he's saying. Because there's there's a a little part of the verse there that says... uh, Well, I'll read the verse 5. Has... not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom, He promised those who love Him. See, as we go on with James, it's not money's in, an important thing of how we work out the gospel in our lives, but it's how we love Him. So there's those people who are poor who love Him, that have this new creation. Uh, given the crown of life and there's those who don't love him it's not to do with their money there's rich people who love him have the crown of life and those who don't love him that don't so it's this uh, it's not just your bank balance that he's talking about but it is the scenario that uh, James seems to be addressing here for these people see in their situation and you've got to think If you're half familiar with Acts, so Jesus has uh, come, he's died on the cross, was buried for three days, he rose again, hung out with them for about 40 days and then he ascended into heaven and then he told the the disciples just to wait for the holy spirit and then he's going to go bang the holy spirit god himself is going to work through them in growing this new church so the church started in jerusalem one sermon like two or three thousand people were added to the church church was growing so much and then it describes what's going on in the life of the church there in jerusalem and what was happening everybody was getting together every night to hear teaching uh to eat together to supply each other's needs and It says, the wealthy people gave to those who were struggling. So it kind of indicates that there are diverse groups. There's rich and poor in the very first church. But they're helping each other with their money. They're selling their land. And they're they're giving it to the church to to help accommodate everybody's needs. So there's rich and poor in this first church in Acts chapter 2. But then you go on in Acts about chapter 13 when Paul's preaching uh, Paul goes uh, out tries to you know see if anybody's going to listen to the gospel and what happens is it's uh, described in uh, in chapter 13 it actually says the women of high standing and the leading men of the city drove them out they caused persecution and suffering and chased Paul and his message out Luke, who wrote Acts, specifically said, it's these rich people with influence rejected the gospel. This is sort of the persecution that was going on that chased people out of Jerusalem, who James is writing to, these new churches. You get to chapter 19, Paul's planning a church in Ephesus, and he was uh, talking about who the true God is, that they, all their idol worship was a waste of time. The wealthy businessmen who had investments in this idol-making, the silversmiths, uh, they got so angry they got Paul and his mates, chased them down to the courthouse, tried to have them arrested and charged. Now that didn't work out and uh, they escaped the city before anything bad happened. But this is kind of what James is talking about. It's these rich people. Aren't they persecuting you? Aren't they blaspheming God's name? Aren't they the ones chasing you down to the courthouse, trying to have you arrested? And they're the ones? They're the ones you're paying special attention to in your church? Like, even that kind of doesn't make sense. Even without evil hearts, sinful hearts, he's going, are you really doing this? See the world through God sees it, because sin distorts the way we view people, the way we view the world. See the way God sees the world, and you'll see the poor can be the ones that are the most rich, spiritually, he's saying. But in this whole discussion about seats and who sits where, he actually points the finger at his readers, whether it's them or us. He says, well, show me your ticket. Show me your right that you've got a seat to sit in here, you know, to sit in the presence of God. Are you worthy? How worthy are you to have a good seat? This is what he goes on to say, um, uh, to ask a question from verse 8. If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbour as yourself, you're doing right. But if you show favouritism, you sin and are uh, are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking it all. For the one who said, you shall not commit adultery, also said, you shall not commit murder. If you do not commit adultery but do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. Now the law he's talking about, is there Jewish law, the law that we find in the Old Testament that Moses wrote, we could say the Ten Commandments, but he's often referring to this in James and it's filtered through the Gospel where Jesus came and explained the law at the Sermon on the Mount and Jesus said, look, you know, the law says you've got to be this good but actually I tell you, you've actually got to be this good and actually, as he goes through all the different laws, whether it's adultery, whether it's murder, whether it's loving your neighbour, he's <clears throat> actually saying the bar is so high. Can you jump it? Can you jump that bar to say, I have fulfilled the law. I am worthy to have a seat in God's presence. Can you do it? Is what he's saying. A few years ago, I got a phone call uh, late at night. I think it was about 2am in the morning. Which, you know, it's got to be something important for somebody to ring you at 2am, pick up the phone, hi, it's Ross speaking. Uh, and I had this guy on the phone uh, wouldn't tell me his name he just says look I'm phoning up because I want an apology and you tell us a bit of drinking going on the other line but I want an apology you've done things that you need to apologize for I'm Like, all oh, right okay well who am I speaking to he says you should know you should remember like, okay yeah I'm still waking up but going what have I done that I need to apologize for I said when when did I do this And he says, you can't remember, can you? You can't remember what you did to me. Now, I don't think you use the word bullying, but you definitely use the words that that mean that sort of thing. You treated me terrible. And you forget, I want an apology. He kept saying. Now, what would you say to that? What would you say? If somebody come up in your face, whether it's on the phone, on the computer, or down the street, says, I want an apology because you've done stuff to me that I want an apology for. Now, do you either go, mate, you've got the wrong person because I've done nothing to you, or I've done nothing to anyone because you don't know who it is. So i say, I'm squeaky clean. I haven't done any of that. Or you actually go, Could it be this person? <laughs> could it be this person? Was it this person? Like for all your life, he's not telling me when. It could be a whole bunch of people. So I apologized. I'm not squeaky clean. Whether I knew I was doing something to somebody or didn't know. They felt like They were a victim. So I apologised a a number of times because he kept pushing me and pushing me and pushing me. I realised it was a prank call after he realised he wasn't having any fun with me and just hung up. But it was kind of like, I think it was like a drunk Saturday night thing that you would do. But it got me thinking. If somebody pointed the finger at you, would you apologise? You kind of go, I can't say I'm squeaky clean. Like when... uh, James is saying, can you fulfill the law? Oh, you might not commit adultery. You might not murder anyone. But have you loved your neighbour as yourself? Because that's just as important. We go, that doesn't work. If I commit adultery, I ruin all my relationships around me um, and get into serious trouble. If I murder someone, I'm going to jail. That's, you know, very serious. Um, But if I neglect someone, if I don't treat them right, if I don't love them, surely that's not as bad but james is going you know that's just as bad in fact when jesus was asked to summarize the law you know tell us the law what are the most important commandments his first one he said love the lord god with all your heart mind and soul god's number one and the second one is love your neighbor as yourself it's like adultery murder didn't even get a mention Love your neighbor. This is what the, the gospel this is, what following Jesus is all about. He's saying, Can you even say you do that? Do you deserve a seat? Is what he's asking. So we can't. We can't. We can't say that. But he's left the door open a little bit here because he's asking, um, You know, has God reserved a seat for you? Oh, thank God. God's reserved a seat for you. He's saying, Can you sit there? Can you come in to have your seat reserved? Because remember what he was saying about the poor man who come in and what God did for him? That God said, you know, it's not through you. It's not through anything you've done. You don't deserve it. But I've got a seat saved for you. And the only way you're going to get there is if somebody righteous did come along and get you that ticket. Like if somebody righteous took off your old dirty coat and gave you the nice clean coat of Jesus Christ... Then you can come in and see. Because that's what Jesus did. When he went to the cross and he took, you know, all the stuff that we did to break the law, every time we've offended someone, every time we've offended God, whether we meant it or not, we offend people. And he's going, I'm going to take that and take the punishment. I'm going to take the rejection because, you know, everybody's after you. You've rejected them. You've hurt them. I'm going to take that. They're going to reject me. They're going to hurt me in return. So Jesus takes that to the cross and gets killed on the cross. But in return, he says, I'm going to give you my nice clean robe. Now when he does that, he says, come. Come and sit in the seat in the presence of God. So, if we trust in Jesus, if we love Jesus, if we put on his coat and stop clinging on to our old one, determined, but actually say, yes, Jesus, I am sorry for what I've done. Take my coat. And he gives us ours. We get a seat in the presence of God. A little while back, uh, our family uh, got invited to a concert. Now, uh, it was kind of like I knew a Korean pastor, and he was very polite to us uh, through different ministry things. We had a bit of crossover. And he says, our church is involved in a concert. We'd love you to come. Uh, Kim and the kids, our kids were much smaller than them. uh, So I thought... It's a nice friendly thing to do, we're not big on concerts, but we'll go uh, for these people. We walked into this auditorium, uh, bigger than this, and we thought, oh, it didn't take so long to realise um, we're the only people with blonde hair and Caucasian and kind of the only people dressed like this. Everybody else had suits and ties and uh, all that. So we just thought, okay, let's just go and... Uh, do this, we'll say day to him. I'm not sure how this is going to go for, but mightn't even stay that long. We'll just sneak in up the back and, you know, do the polite thing. So we snuck in up the back, we no longer sat down, and the pastor, my friend, was up the front, turned around and saw me right up the back. Pastor Ross, him and his wife come marching up the back. What are you sitting here for? No, come up the front. Come up the front. We're like, no, no, no. It's all right. We we enjoy it up the back here. It's all good. No, I insist. Come up the front. Took us up the front, and all the uh, a number of the performers were sort of in the middle, and you know, parents and uh, other peoples uh, people in their churches were all spread around. Kept taking us further up the front and further up the front to the front row, where all the pastors were sitting suits, ties, you know, done up to the nines, uh, highly respected, you could tell this was a seat of honour, come sit with us and yeah, I might have been dressed even as much as this, uh, to sit with them up the front and we were treated like royalty, you know, all the performers were like they were performing to, to all the, the people of honour up the front We couldn't understand a word they were saying. But it was an amazing concert. It was like they were doing it just for us. We are taken out of a nobody, feeling like we didn't belong, going, no, no, we're glad you're here. We want you here. Actually, we want you to be the main focus for us. We're going to celebrate the fact that you're here. That's how it felt like. And how to sitting up the front. That's what God does. When he says, you don't deserve a seat. You don't deserve a seat. But through Jesus saying, come, here's the invitation. Come in. Don't sit up the back. I'm going to give you a seat. The Bible uses this term, a seat at the banquet table with Jesus. Sit at the top table with him when we trust in him and love him. We don't deserve it. But he shows us that love. He shows us that mercy. He takes off our old clothes, gives us the good clothes to come in and to sit with Jesus is what he does. He says, when you understand that mercy that changes everything. Now, for many of us, we've experienced that. We've experienced that life-changing transition from uh, living life my own way, living life in my own sin, pretending I'm a good person, to realising I'm not. Jesus inviting me to come. Jesus inviting me to, to take his coat and not try and wear mine anymore. And we have that amazing experience of grace and love and it transforms us. Now, if you're here today... And you haven't experienced that. And you go, oh, this talk about gospel and Jesus, all this religious stuff. This is what it's about. It's Jesus taking us in our mess, in our confusion, or whatever's going on in our life, with our pride and our self-centeredness. And he says, give that coat up, your smelly old coat. Let me give you the good coat, the coat of righteousness. And come, I've got a seat reserved for you. A seat right up the front. Because you're my special guest. You're a guest of honour. Come, sit at the banquet table with me. Trust in Jesus. Trust in him. And you get the crown of life, is what he says. And it's when we experience this mercy, it changes us. He goes on in verse 12. Verse 12, where he says, Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. So, You know, we're still accountable. What are we going to do with this? Let's not look in the mirror and walk away and pretend nothing happened. It's what he said last week. But he says in verse 13, Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. That's what Jesus has done to us. He's shown us mercy. Why wouldn't you be showing mercy to others? That's the question. Why wouldn't you? You don't deserve your seat, but you got given a seat, the best seat. So why don't you invite others in? Why aren't you showing them the love of God? Why aren't you showing them Jesus and his robe of righteousness that they can be wearing and, and have this new life? Because if you don't show it to others, do you really get it? Do you get it? Jesus told a few different parables to emphasise this point. That the guy who has shown mercy, if he goes then and be's a bully to other people, God's going to judge him harshly. It's like, I showed you my love, I showed you my compassion. I showed you my grace. But if you don't show that to others, you don't get it. But what James is saying is this authentic faith in Jesus is not just, this is what I believe and I know all my key doctrines. But it's going to change your heart and it's going to change your hands. It's going to change the way we live. That if you remember the grace that's been showed to you, that's been poured out to you, you'd be wanting to show that to others. Wanting to take every opportunity to see that they know Jesus. We have a statement that we want to be a big church. It's one of uh, many statements. Uh, That's part of our welcoming team here, if you didn't recognise those handsome faces. Uh, One of the qualifications on being on the welcoming team is you're handsome, and uh, these are the ones. Um, There are others, too, that didn't make the photo. Sorry, they're on our welcoming team. Um, After I just said all those things about... Anyway, Um, they're our welcoming team. But we want to be a big church. I mean, we didn't build a building, getting into big debt, building 450 seats, just to stay small. We actually want to have some impact on our culture, on our um, community around us. We want to share what we've got. Now, there's two ways to apply what James is saying to us. One is that it's a lesson, really, for our welcoming team. You welcomers don't show favouritism. Show them to a good seat. Now we spend spent over 30 grand to have lots of good seats. So that's not that hard. Show them a good seat. Whether you're up the front, up the back, you're going to get the same seat. Comfy seat, hopefully. Uh, but don't show favouritism. Serve each people. Greet every person the way it is. And is that the key to being a big church? Is that the key to growing? He's actually saying that. You're looking through your evil eyes again and it's all about you and your church and what you're trying to do. He says that's, that's not what he's talking about. But we want to be a big gospel church. There's a big difference in saying that. We want to be a church that proclaims Jesus, not just hear the words, He is the Son of God, you need to repent, you need to believe, you need to trust in Him. Very important words. But live it out. That we live out the gospel. That anyone that walks in this door is like a gift from God. You know, we put out advertising, we might do some promotion. Ah, Social media stuff, we might even invite our friends. But it's pretty much anybody who walks in this door is a gift from God. I don't know whether you thought about it like that. Say, no, we worked hard to get that person in the door. No, we didn't. Whatever's going on in their life, God has brought them in. If you're new or visiting here today, that's how I see you guys. Like, God has brought you here today. I um, know this is kind of an awkward talk where I'm the visitor today and they're talking about how they're going to welcome me. Morning tea's going to be fun, isn't it? Sorry. Um, but you, you've got us on this day. How the gospel is applied to our lives. That we're a big gospel church. That anybody comes in, we're going to show them the love. In fact, if we've. If we realise the mercy that God has shown us and we want to show others that same mercy, we're going to be walking over broken glass to be uh, talking to you, to be inviting you to coffee, to be having conversations. We want to hear your story. We want to hear about your life. What did bring you here? What do you think about God? Do you know Jesus? Like, can we help you with that? We want to make sure we communicate that well by loving you. And that's what we should. Not just the welcomers. We do have a welcoming team because logistically uh, it can get really messy and new people can get lost. So we have a welcoming team that talk through how to do this well, how to get somebody in, how to get people to the morning tea, how do we um, have good conversations, just putting that out there. We we talk about this a lot. But it's not just half a dozen people at an information desk. It's our whole congregation. How do we show the love of God? We see somebody come in. They're not talking to anybody. We want to know them we want to share our life with them. we want to you know, know their story and uh, and how they 're how they're going and what, what brought them here. They are a gift from God. We want to use every opportunity to to show them the love of jesus uh, i 've had a few conversations this week randomly or maybe i 've just been listening uh, that 's been really encouraging. Um, one conversation I said to somebody who'd been here a little while and now they've sort of fitted in, they know a few people, they're serving. I said, how did it feel like coming into here, you know, um, in our area, we're kind of a Caucasian church, but we're in a very multicultural area. You know, what is this like, what we're doing? And the comment sort of really encouraged me by saying, you know what, skin colour or language doesn't really matter because friendliness overcomes all that. You know, you're welcoming, you're love overcomes culture, overcomes financial status, overcomes awkwardness. The love of Jesus changes that. We want to be that sort of church. We want to be a big gospel church. Sure, we want to fill it. Sure, we want to reach the 1%, the 1,000 people we're praying that God will use us for. Not just because we want to be big. We want to show them the love of Jesus and we want to put them out on mission as well. That still needs a change of heart to go from head, heart, into hand. So I'm going to pray now that God will use us to be with him on that mission. Let's pray. Dear Father, we thank you for your love and mercy that you've poured out on us. We thank you that often we take it for granted, but we're always pulled back to the cross. That we think we're right, that we think we're deserving. We think we deserve the seat with you. But to be reminded again, Lord, we're constantly breaking a law. We're constantly offending you and others and sinning and committing evil acts. But Lord, thank you for your mercy. Thank you for the blood Jesus shed on the cross where he took my robe, my robe, dirty robe of unrighteousness, gave me his clean robe of righteousness. So when we believe in him, we do have a seat. We are made worthy because of Jesus And you reach out, you love us, you welcome us in. Lord, if we're sitting here today and we're still trying to work out Jesus or still holding off and not committing to you, Lord, I pray that you'd put it on uh, those people's hearts. To trust in you is a freeing gift, it's a liberating thing to do and it changes your life, transforms your life. But Lord, if we're here today and this news of the gospel is just growing stale in our lives and we're just getting our own little rut. Lord, I pray that you'd shake us up, that we would get excited about what you're doing in our lives and what you're doing in the lives of those around us and we want to know and share the journey together. Lord, it's such a privilege to to be in your presence, privilege to know you and be called your children. Lord, let us never take that for granted, but talk it up and live it out. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.